0: Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster Carrie Newhoff and Barna President David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I'm here as usual with Barna Savannah Kimberlin, and we want to welcome you to this podcast. Uh, We have a treat. David Kinnaman is back, and he is talking with Jenny Allen, the founder of the IF Gathering. So, you're going to hear that in a few minutes. And we're talking all about screens and technology. What's really fascinating to me is Gen Z. You know, just as pastors thought, okay, I got a handle on millennials. They're all turning 40 now. And there's this whole new generation that's not just in high school. They're graduating college. They're in the workforce. And it's Generation Z. And Barna has just released a uh, brand new study, an in-depth study, a monograph, also launching a collab around Gen Z. And so we're going to bring you some of the latest findings on Gen Z before we dive into David's conversation with Jenny Allen. So Savannah, get us started. What are we learning about this next generation?
1: Yeah, well, we're learning a lot. I think as we step into 2021 and and as we leave 2020, we we see pastors beginning to realign themselves and their focus on reaching the next generation and doing so effectively and doing so really intentionally. In 2020, for a lot of leaders, it was about survival, right? Mm-hmm. Like how can we innovate to keep our people engaged? And now that we step into 2021, we're seeing a shift where pastors are are stepping back into this mentality of, okay, now how can I reach new people? And right. so we, we learned a lot in the Gen Z volume two report that we released um, in partnership with our good friends at Impact 360 Institute. So hopefully we can give leaders some data um, that will help them see more clearly as, as they're looking to reach the next generation.
0: Yeah. Where do people find that, by the way, if people want yeah. more?
1: So they can just go to Barna.com to our store. And we actually put together some awesome church kits for ministry leaders full of lots of additional resources in addition to the monograph. So hopefully um, we can give you a really well-rounded view into the hearts and minds of Gen Z through that church kit and, and through the publication itself as well.
0: And use the promo code CHURCHPULSE15 on the way out. You will thank yourself after. But um, any any like highlights that you've got? Um, For us, just one or two quick tips on what we're seeing in Gen Z, Savannah. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So in our conversation with Jenny Allen, we're going to be talking about technology. And so we know that that is very important when we're thinking about the next generation and right. since technology is such a large part of their lives. So so I think two things to really call out today when we're thinking about Gen Z and technology from that volume two report um firstly we need to set boundaries right we know that parents need to set boundaries for their children with technology and and Jenny's going to um talk some on that in her time with David and an interesting data point that we found um that supports this need for boundaries in the home is that we we asked Gen Z about their emotions in this study so yeah. we asked them about a slew of positive and negative um emotions and how frequently they felt those things. And it was interesting that the top negative emotion the Gen Z says that they are feeling right now is tired. So over half of Gen Z says that they're tired. And in the data, when we were analyzing it, there are so many strong correlations with screen time experiences. Mm. Um, and th- I don't think that's really a surprise that <laughs> you're tired and you're on your screen a lot. There's definitely going to be some relationship there. But the fact that it is the top negative emotion that Gen Z is feeling right now and and that it is so deeply deeply connected to their use of technology. I mean, that's, that is... Um, that is a story to be told that shows that we do need to set boundaries because that's a negative emotion that parents can help address.
0: I think parents are tired too, you know, but that, but that is really interesting. You know, I have to limit screen time. I have to get outside. And uh, I know the collab and Report, you guys talk about limits. Any further thoughts on that before we dive in the interview with David and Jenny?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one more thing to share when we're talking about those boundaries or just, really understanding Gen Z and how they um, how they relate with their screens, how they feel. It's In this report, we stretch our readers to really understand, to, to work to understand Gen Z and why they use their screens and what types of experiences they have with their screens. So as we're looking to be in relationship with Gen Z, that's an important thing to, to really know is, is where are they? What do they think? What do they feel? And we ask specifically about social media, To to really understand why are you on social media? Like, why do you care so much as a generation? And it's interesting, out of a lot of positive and negative statements, the, the top three things that Gen Z says that they experience on social media are these three things. They feel connected to the world. They feel connected to others. And they're informed. They really enjoy being informed about things. So really what we're seeing in this data, that these are the things that Gen Z really care about. And as parents, we need to know that these are drivers of screen time use, right? That they, mm-hmm. they really want to be connected to others. They want to be connected to the world. They, they want to be informed and, and see what's happening around us. So as we're working to set boundaries and, and be in relationship with our children, we need to understand them. So hopefully that data point helps you understand Gen Z a little bit better.
0: Savannah, before we dive into the interview with David and Jenny, um, just clarify, what is a Barna CoLab? Like, how is that different from just reading a report or, you know, finding an article on the web? What's a CoLab?
1: So CoLab is a six-week learning cohort that we have designed to help church leaders move from research to action, right? So as, as pastors are reading our reports and as church leaders or even volunteers are engaging with our material, we find that a lot of times they're asking themselves, okay, this is really great, but how can I use this? How can this be helpful? Mm-hmm. Um, how can I build this into my ministry curriculum or my plan or my strategy? And so what we've designed is this learning cohort to help church leaders do just that. So there are so many amazing elements of the six-week cohort, but we'll take assessment So, we'll understand the current situation of our local contexts, and then we will um, work to understand and see clearly. And then at the end of the cohort, everybody who's participating will be equipped to walk away with a customized ministry plan for their local church so that they can reach Gen Z better. So this first collab that we're doing at the start of 2021 is is about reaching Gen Z, since we are Mm. seeing, like I said, that return to the prioritization of reaching the next gen in our ministries.
0: Is there a special website for those who might be interested in more information?
1: It's barna.com forward slash collab, And for our Church Pulse audience, we actually have a promo code. If you want to learn more and potentially join us, um, you're welcome to use the promo code churchpulse15 to get a discount um, to to reserve your spot in that Reaching Gen Z cohort.
0: Well, we'll dive into some weeds now with David Kinnaman
2: and Jenny Allen. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Church Pulse Weekly, Jenny. Um, What what a crazy year it's been. And uh, I know that you guys designed If Gathering as in, in some ways, you sort of uh, anticipated this sort of digital moment, didn't you? Uh, where it wasn't an event that was as, as sort, of, sort of built around the physical gathering, although clearly you got to have people in, a, in, a, in an auditorium and a, state, and a stage and all the rest. But um, what are some of the things that you had to do, even as running a sort of a, a primarily digital ministry in 2020, in light of the disruption and the pandemic? What are ways that you guys have had to pivot and change? Uh, what do you think are going to be some of the sure. lasting changes from that? And what are some things that you think were just more, maybe more temporary?
3: Yeah. So as you know, we we did start as a virtual event. We really didn't foresee a world where we would have arena tours the way that women of faith had. We really wanted to give everyone at home a tool that they could gather their friends in their homes, in their churches. And so If Gathering re- really began as a movement of women that raised their hand and said, I want to host in my place. And so this was in 2014. Well, virtual events weren't really a thing. I mean, we we were taxing everyone involved because they'd never had an event this big. I think our technology, we had so many problems the first few years because nobody had ever stewarded hundreds of thousands of uh, people attending the same event the way that that we saw it blow up in, in 2014 and 2015. And so thankfully our, our tech grew and, and, and we're definitely a more secure uh technical team now but but it was overwhelming to us how far it could reach and how fast it could reach. So I think what's exciting to me and I've never ever felt for a second like it's competition that all these other events rose up as as digital. I'm really excited because my thing is let's get the the great news out to the ends of the earth about the gospel and so every church that can do that well, every event and pair church that can do that well, every human that can do that well, go, do it. Like we've got a you know, billions of people on the planet. Let's, let's all be good at this, right? Let's go, let's take it. And I think the exponential nature of the internet is it's plus, right? We, we can take something that that's done in a room and, and we can get it to the world. And so we've seen that at if gathering, and it's been really rewarding and really fruitful. However, we've also seen the limits of that, right? If anything in COVID, we really have where, you know, just getting around a screen is not fulfilling, like that. We really, need to be in our churches and we want to be worshiping next to each other with physical bodies beside us so i think covid hopefully what will happen after this is is the power of the of the spread and the reach is is all there and in place and can keep going but the value of the individuals coming together in a room in a home whatever that looks like for you in a church that would come back and that would be a higher value than it's ever been. I, I really hope that's true. It's true for our family. I know the second we could go back to church and sit spread apart with masks singing, we did it, you know, and, and people were like, I don't want to, I don't want to sing with a mask. I'm like, I'll sing with a mask. I want to be with people. And it really has been such a gift. And so what, what I would say as far as um, the potential and, and what I see happening with COVID what we did pretty quickly was, we, and I told my team a lot, a lot of my team has been with me from the beginning. Like four of them have been there since day one. They know this about me and they know this about working at IF gathering. You pivot all the time. Nothing is a sacred cow. Nothing is, even if it works, means we'll do it again next year. We put everything, we push everything on the table every year. In fact, I'd say every week. And, And we say, Lord, are we still obeying you? Is this still what you want to do? And so COVID was the same thing. I remember I woke up, we were on vacation for spring break when the president made his announcement and we were making plans to come home, but we weren't at home. And I was kind of glad because I got to get my head around it before I came home to no toilet paper, right? Like we were we were somewhere, they still had toilet paper. So I wasn't panicking about the reality of what was happening. All I was thinking was, this is a moment for us to put our, our heads down and work hard and, and be there for people because we were good at the virtual thing. We didn't have to prepare, you know, that we didn't have to make connections so that we could maybe get our content out. I'm like, we, we exist for this. So I told my team, I got them all on the Zoom. And I said, listen, this is going to be a moment where everything you did before is going to feel like, you know, it, it, it is being questioned right now. And I don't want you to feel that way. I just want you to move with me. And so we, we came together. We prayed about it. And we said, let's, let's start IfTV. And it was a new pipeline. My team was all at home. <laughs> and we were doing it virtually. But we set up a new pipeline to people and gathered people for weeks together in that way, in that format, and had great conversations there and had thousands and thousands of people join us in these conversations. And I think what it taught my team was there—you know the means and the method, they can change what we do. And what we say and what we're about will never change. But the means and the method will probably change and it'll probably change often. And I would say to any people that lead, that lead anything, a small group or a massive organization, if you aren't living like that, you're not living, leaving room for the Holy Spirit. Right. We've got to be people that are willing to say by all means possible so that we might win a few. And and I think my team was t- is tired after this year um, because we have moved the methods a lot and continue to, um, we just landed if gatherings just a few weeks away and we just landed our venue because we kept, you know, having to change it because of COVID rules. And, and so again, we're not having, it's a virtual event. Um, we're not having an audience, but we had to have somewhere to film from. And so I think my team is tired, but they are smiling because it feels like God showed up and he's led us over this time. And, and we've learned and we've really stayed nimble, even though we're a bigger team than we've ever been.
2: Such an interesting story about um, how the Lord was preparing your ministry really for a, a digital moment like this one. Um, this is a question that Carrie and I ask of, of leaders that we have on the podcast uh, quite often, which is, do you think that uh, in retrospect, we'll look at the COVID year as an interruption or as a, a complete disruption to the way we think about sor- sort of our, our lives and ministries?
3: Oh, I think, oh, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of people that have died. There's a lot of people that have lost their jobs. So there's no doubt this has caused suffering to many, many people. And, and I understand that that is the reality of this season right now. But if you're asking me from the church's perspective and like eternal perspective, this is the best thing that's ever happened to our generation. I have no, no doubt. Now, that is not discounting the fact that they're suffering. And I hate that for people. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And if I could pick, I would avoid the pandemic. But here we are, right? And I can't control that. So how are we going to view it? A hundred. We get to stand back from our very short lives and decide how to live again. That is a gift. Who gets that as a whole generation alive on Earth? Very few. I mean, World War II, like, some have gotten it. But we never have gotten it like this. Not in a way with the internet. We're actually hearing each other's opinions on it and growing from each other. So, so I think it is unprecedented opportunity that, that we get to walk out of the season with greater clarity and vision. It has done that for me. I'm not confused. I can't picture what's going to happen next. And I'm not, you know, I'm pretty prophetic, but I can't tell you like how this is all going to go down in 2025. But I can tell you that the church could have its greatest years in the next decade. And I don't think that's a stretch. I think it won't look like it. From the outside but i think underground being purified and figuring out who actually is in and who's out and knowing okay this is what we're going to be about and we're not going to be so distracted by things we can't control but we will be very distracted by our own holiness and our own obedience and our own faith and our own rightness with god and in and, and our community our, our ability to come together to cause good oh I, 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 I can't even I can't even talk about it because it's so excited i I can see that happening that's what I can see now do I think it's gonna get worse like it's gonna get darker that's what the bible told me you know that's just true so I'm not that surprised by the fact that everything's hard I'm like this isn't that hard you know I've been talking to some middle east pastors that are leading the biggest um the biggest church um growth in the world right now right it's number one is Iran and, and next is Afghanistan. Fastest two growing churches in the world. Talk to them. I'm like, And they're laughing. They're like, y'all think you're persecuted because you have to wear a mask, you know? <laughs> but ouch. I, but I, I think, you know, what, but at the same time, you know what, towards the end of the c- conversation, they're like, you know what? It's coming. And it's probably coming faster than you think to the West. Like those, those Middle East leaders are going, yeah, West needs to prepare for that because it's, it's going to come. So so I think it's exciting times to be alive. I think that we it should hopefully clarify us. And I hope that it it causes greater unity in the church. And I know that sounds impossible to so many people listening, but behind the scenes, the people I'm talking to, they're there. Like the leaders of the church I'm talking to, we're all there. We just want to be about the kingdom as long as we have and and do it faithfully. So I don't think it's that big of a stretch.
2: Such an inspiring vision. Uh, I've, I'm getting uh, sort of, uh, goosebumps just hearing your your positive vision about what what the Lord's going to do. Because I agree, I actually really feel like the, the Lord is using this moment to 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 change the church and to change us as leaders, uh, to to purify us for His purposes. Um, and as you look back on this incredibly difficult year, um, you know we were just talking before we started recording uh, about the loss of my wife, and you know so many things that people have have lost through the year in terms of death due to COVID, sickness due to COVID, loss of job. You know, parents who are trying to raise their kids in a really crazy time, and so talk about the the relationship that you see between suffering and spiritual formation. Um, Mm. How does that Mm. how does that factor into into things?
3: Well, I don't think there is spiritual formation without suffering. Um, Jesus was pretty clear that you know the that there to know what it means to. Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up and I want to quote the verse exactly because I was just reading it. Hold on. Here it is. Um, huh. I mean, this is Paul speaking right here. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Something about what Paul understood about following Jesus was that it would involve suffering. And he even asked for it. He was like, could you cause me to participate in your suffering? When I was speaking to the pastors in the, the underground church of the Middle East. I asked him a lot of questions about their view of America and, and they were so full of hope and they, they want to see the American church come alive, but, but many of them have lived in America for some time and, or in the, in the East or in the West at some point. And they would say it's like a lullaby is being sung over the church in America. It's just that the comfort and ease and all these things are being sung over it. And I said, so do you pity the church? And he said, well, I just wouldn't be afraid of it getting harder because wouldn't that mean if the lullaby is comfort, and it's lulling everybody to sleep, then wouldn't that mean that suffering would wake everybody up? And I I was like, and so would you rather be right on earth and, and not right in heaven? Or would you rather be, you know, it difficult on earth and it, you know, and, and it not lead to heaven. And so, you know, I think, I think what they see is they worry about the American church that it has been so easy for us. And so I think I look ahead at the fact that it's getting harder and I'm like, okay, finally game time, you know, let's go. Right. Team, like, let's not be so overwhelmed. So, so, how does it tie to our faith? I think desperation for Jesus is what causes us to follow him in a compelling enough way that that everybody would want that God. And and I think if if we as Christians continue to hit everybody over their head with our morals instead of with Jesus Christ and the hope he has. As for them, we are going to miss the, the work God wants to do in our country in our time. And so my hope would be that we would hit them over the head with the thing that Jesus said to which was love, that, that we would love each other better, that we would love other people better. And then our lives would be so compelling, an aroma that people then would say, well, who is this God?" You know, we're thinking that they should know our God and believe everything he says. And we're like, they're like we don't even like you. <laughs> <laughs> We, why would we want your god you know and i'm thinking let's let's shift this and let's let's quit fighting for rights and let's quit fighting for you know and I, i'm not saying there's not a cost in that okay i know that i know i have four kids who are going to raise their kids i i want them to have an easy life every parent wants that for their kids everybody wants that for themselves but i'm a christian who believes in eternity and if more good is done for the kingdom in a difficult situation then i would pick it over an easy situation that no kingdom work has done, so I'm not afraid of it. I think it will build the church. I think it will. Pur- I think it already is starting to purify the church, and I get excited about it.
2: Yeah, that's so good. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that you think women are facing specifically um, now in the pandemic space, and how do churches sort of recognize the pressures that that women especially are facing? Your ministry obviously is such a a great outlet, a great voice for, a great sort of um resonance with the challenges and issues that women are facing. How would you speak to leaders today about, you know, the, the the things you're seeing and learning about women today?
3: Yeah, I definitely think, of course. I mean, most of the job loss in our country has been women due to, you know, coming home to help their kids with school and all that. I, I think there's definitely challenges we're all facing, but I would say that's not the women I work with. The women I work with are facing all those challenges, but they are not they're not um, unmotivated, right? Like they are rising up in their communities. Yeah. They are the ones that are actively making plans of restoration for their communities. They're the social justice workers that I know. Like women I see right now mobilizing and being strategic and wanting to spend their lives well in their communities and, and to love people well. I just am so honored that I get to be a part of this community of women that that spreads all over the earth, right? It's not just America. It's, it's, we have leaders, um, thousands of leaders all over the earth. And so they're not really feeling sorry for themselves. And they're not really complaining about everything. Like they're really just busy. And, and I think that's what I see. That's cool about a lot of women. I know, and I can't really compare it to men because I just don't work with a lot of men, but I can say um, women do this, that they, they roll up their sleeves and they go to work when they see difficulty, when they see a struggle, when they see a problem to solve They're they're not typically waiting to figure out who else could solve it. they're They're like, "I can do this. I, I got it." And so I think um, I'm really inspired by them and i I feel really hopeful about the future of the church because of the women that I see and how they're living and they're doing it in ways that nobody's cheering. I mean, I always say like we the people on the stage aren't the heroes of if the the women in the trenches that are leading their neighbors and their friends and you know taking care of the the people in their communities are the heroes to me. And so I think we all celebrate that, that they are doing this in a way that, that they know it's for the kingdom. They are, are full of faith. They are not discouraged. Um, They might be tired, (laughs) (laughs) but, but largely I talk to them and I leave inspired. So I think what I feel is, you know, everybody always says that church is shrinking and I know it. people, David, you're, you're part of it. (laughs) And I'm <laughs> probably getting those stats from you, but I'm going, I feel like it's, it's just, maybe it is numerically, but what I see behind the scenes, it's just on fire. Like, okay, we, can we talk about Gen Z? I thought was that on the notes, I want to talk about Gen Z because that's another place I see it. I see it. I see it with women. I see it with Gen Z. Gen Z is awesome. Gen Z is the best follow-up to millennials. No offense. I'm almost one um, that I ever did see. Gen Z showed up. I don't even know. Like, like they they showed up like a year ago. I guess they're like 22 now. The oldest, 23. Yeah, it's my kids, and I know all their friends. That's why I know so much about Gen Z, and I speak to a lot of campuses and colleges. Well, they are little zealots. Like they are. They have simple faith. They believe in a big God. They've already lived under persecution in their public school system since they were born. You know, and they they don't have a, a a category for like. This is hard. They're just like, oh yeah, it's always been hard. You know, I've, I've always had to walk in my own lane, and nobody's ever really cheered me on about it. You know, so that they just have this like clear, awesome mindset of let's get busy, let's do work. Um, and I, I see a lot of hope when I look at them, and I think everybody is feeling a lot of hope when they look at them right now because there really is a um, a passion in them. Those that love Jesus to to really spend their lives. For that cause. I've heard more Gen Z people tell me they're being called to the mission field and called to the pastorate and called to ministry than I've ever heard in 10 years of millennials. I mean, and it's only, we were only on the scene last year. I can't even tell you how many of them have told me I feel called to ministry. I feel like everywhere I go, they're coming up afterwards. I feel called to ministry. I feel called to ministry. And not easy ministry. Like they feel called to church ministry. They feel called <laughs> to, to overseas ministry. Like hard yeah. ministry. So so I get, I just, I just I see the future and it looks bright. I I look at women, I'm not discouraged. I think to give us all a little credit, because some of them are listening right now, they're like, but we're tired. We are tired. That's real. Because we're trying to keep it together at home and we're trying to keep it together over here. And we don't always have um the the opportunities I think that men have to to cause those things to happen we don't always you know feel like the doors are open in the same way that's still true, especially in the church so so I think you know there's that but nobody's compl- nobody I know is really complaining yeah. about it they're just
2: I think I hear you saying as you as you talk about women and uh and gen Z and we haven't talked a lot about this, but you know a lot of the gen Zers in my family the gen Zers that that we research they've all those things and more they're, they're uh, driven. They're, they're dealing with high levels of anxiety. I think, I think COVID has taken a lot of things for those who are in their kind of their final lap. My my daughter's a senior year, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's really hitting hard because you know, all the things that she wanted to do in her victory lap as a senior in college. Um, So it feels to me like we're saying there's a lot of things that have been lost and we want to sort of live and, and, and sort of acknowledge the things that women, that students today that, you know, that, that men too, like there's been a lot of loss in this last year, but especially that's been felt by women and in certain ways by Gen Z. But in some ways I hear you saying that's clear the decks. It's clear the decks for them to focus.
3: Yeah. I mean, it goes back to our former conversation. Yeah, it has. It has been hard. And I I don't think, um, I guess I'm more giving you observation of what I see with them and what they're saying than I am how it should be. I, I really am just saying, I don't, um, in large part, I think we just do what needs to be done. You know, it's yeah. like that song, like women get the job done. I mean, it's, I, I just think there's a little bit of just, they, yeah, we had somebody had to teach their kids. It wasn't ideal, but, and yeah, I have to keep my full-time job going on Zoom while kids Zooming beside me. And we've done that, right? Like I've done that. We've been Zooming together in a room them doing school with headphones on, you know, a lot of this time. So I think what you're saying is, is back to our earlier conversation of suffering and, and growth and all that. I think what the Bible is pretty clear about is that suffering produces several things. One of them is perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces a hope that does not pass. So, so you see a progression that the suffering causes in the life, especially of a believer, and, and what the Bible is pretty clear throughout the whole book of saying is, is that suffering is a weird backwards gift. You know, blessed are the people that are mourning. Blessed are the people that are poor in spirit. Blessed are all these people that, that are sad, you know, and it's hard. And, and what it's saying is there's some kind of weird gift in suffering. And I think what, what I see in Gen Z is part of why they are the way they are is because of what they're having to live through, right? Some of, some of the fact that they are tougher and they are less distractible, and they are more resilient, is that they lost, you know, my daughter specifically lost her graduation in her freshman year, right? She does COVID year was senior year and freshman year, she came home, missed half of her, half of her senior year, didn't, you know, kind of had a very, very, very late graduation-ish thing, but I didn't get any, you know, no prom, nothing that we would have all just wrung our hands and lost our minds, right? But she was like, well, okay, let's, let's, let's problem solve this and let's reframe it. So she dressed up with all her friends and they went on a parking deck, you know? So I think what they're good at is going to be because of what they lost. And, and it's hard to watch, especially as a parent for your kids to lose things. But I think, and I read an article early on that kind of said, stand back and let them tell you they're sad. You're sad for them because you know what you missed, that you know what they're missing. And you know how you would have felt because you lived your prom. You did all this. Don't, don't assume that they're sad. And that's, I would say that was good advice. Cause I kind of just watched my sister, my daughter and she just kind of kept being okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, like, Let's not put sadness on, on situations. And so I think they're going to be tougher for it. I think it's making them who they are and I get excited for who they're becoming and no, it's not ideal. And no, I wouldn't have picked it for my daughter to have these important years during COVID, but I do think it's making her who she'll be.
2: One of the things that the research shows is that uh, there is a, a strong correlation between screen use and social media use, and uh, poor self-image, mental health, um, anxiety, other kinds of things. Now, research that we do is is uh, correlation, not causation, uh, but there's quite a bit of, of of research that you know, not just ours, others are sort of showing some of these connections. You've you've been mentioning this. On the flip side, there's also this really interesting sort of counter trend that the most resilient young disciples. Uh, who have a perspective about how technology is both a great tool but also has some real challenges uh, are those that think about technology use. They monitor and regulate. Um, we've been yeah. talking a lot about this, but you know, what are very specific steps that you think parents can put in place to talk about the mental health side of the equation yeah. um, you know, that, that we can actually live a more healthy well, life?
3: I don't think we have to overly research that. I think one reason every one of my kids that has technology, I still have one that doesn't really have any access yet. All my older kids, three older kids are, they are guarded with it in ways that I I aspire to. They are, they have time limits on everything. My daughter does not, my college age daughter, when she comes home, she gets on Instagram on my phone because she has had a friend set the password. So she literally cannot put it on her phone. She cannot get access to her own account. She has a friend that that holds her her password and holds her accountable because she specifically is to do with that mental illness that she does not want to fall into comparison, that she wants to live a present life right in front of her. I did not teach my kids that. Goodness, I'm on Instagram way too much. You know, this was not modeled. I just want to be really honest. This was not modeled. And this was not structured into our family. So what we've got to realize is our kids are very smart, and they are very perceptive. And when you say, I think this is affecting your mental health, and they're bugged by you, it's because they don't want to self control anything, they don't want to self govern anything, or because they don't want you to govern it for them, right? So I think we, you know, there have been times in my family where the trust has broken down, and we are clamped down. I mean, we are, you know, there, our thumb is on that kid, and we are not letting it up. Till they build back a little trust and we let it up. And I do think probably one of the things we've done well as parents is we continue to look at them and say, when do you think you're ready for that? When do you think, you know, we've, we've assumed that they will know and tell us when they're ready for it. Now, lots of times they'll say they're ready for it, but then we'll have follow-up questions and prove very quickly they're not. <laughs> but I do think building a conversation around it rather than it being evil rather than it being something dangerous to say okay look at all your friends all your friends most of them have phones you want a phone what do you think what do you think they're they're doing you know right now in their lives that are that you don't appreciate being the one that doesn't have the phone look at your friends and oh i hate that they're on it when we're at dinner and we're together i hate it you know they're building their own especially if they didn't get a phone first they have very strong opinions by the time they get one about what's annoying when somebody else is with them right Use that time. Keep them from a phone. Don't be the first and don't be the very, very last, right? Like don't, don't punish them with unless they're not worthy of that trust. And then that might be your reality. But assuming that they're trustworthy, decide, you know, somewhere in the middle, to late end of everybody getting a phone, you can, you can trust with, with strict boundaries. And let them in that time between when all their friends got a phone and when they get a phone, let them build some convictions about how they want to interact with technology. And I think you'll be surprised. They will be stricter on themselves than you can be strict on them. And I guess my point is this. There are times to have your thumb on your kid, but technology is a tough one because they'll always find a way around it. So make sure that you're giving enough trust and building convictions and letting them build their own convictions about it. Because if you just think, they're going to obey your rules on technology for the rest of, you know, high school. (laughs) I just, I think that's, you're setting up a losing battle model for them, give them, you know, this is what I think is best. Let's write this together. Let's sit down together and agree on these things together. Have them sign it. You sign it. Um, you know, but work together with, with these kids to help them build their own convictions.
2: Such a good, such a good response. Um, last question is, um, how do you see God working today? Uh, we've been talking about this in a lot of different ways, sort of broadly and specific to, to women and Gen Z and in suffering, but uh, wh- where would you put your finger today if, if leaders who are listening are trying to figure out where God is working and how to join them? Uh, wh- what do you see that's that's happening and uh, where are you hopeful? Where would you give us a word of caution as we go forward?
3: I would say don't get cynical. I think it's the greatest enemy to to this moment and to this generation. And it's really easy to get cynical, right? I, I get that. I'm not a very cynical person, but I have, I have fallen into it in the last few years. And, and I would say nothing has stolen my faith more and caused more discouragement in my life than my cynicism. And where cynicism even maybe used to be a value to us because it caused us to be wise and it caused us to be cautious and it caused us to you know, not trust everything on the first, I think it's led to a very unhealthy breakdown of, of our faith. And an unhealthy relationship with other people and even the church, right? So so it's like, okay, what would the opposite of a really cynical person in this season look like? They believe that God can move in the midst of struggle. They believe that this is an opportunity and not a shutdown of their lives and the future of the church. They believe that obeying God has profit and it will cause good, even if it's in the midst of circumstances that are not ideal they believe in other people and working with them and crossing bridges. They don't think they're perfect, not surprised by their imperfection, but they they will link arms with people because even if they have differences and even if they're different politically and different racially and different in, you know, age and, and socioeconomic background, they could link arms and cause more good together. And I've seen that again and again in my friends. What could threaten to tear us apart has brought us closer together and caused us to respect and love each other but it's messy and it's costly and it, it isn't easy. And I would say the way of this probably will be very messy and very costly. And if we're, and if we're cynical, it checks us out before we could ever start. So I think we've got to get a little bit of grit about us. We've got to um, lean in to hard conversations and hard topics and begin to heal. We've got to cling to Jesus and not think he's forgotten about us or not in power and, and control. We just need to trust. You know what? He, he loves us and this is on his watch and and he's got a plan for it. So let's go. Um, I just think, you know, naive optimism is of no good, but faith in the midst of difficulty is our commandment. Like it's it's what should define us. So I, I am definitely, I know I sound real like cheerleader-y right here, but, but I, I'm not, I have no naivety. Are you kidding me? I've sat here and lived this for eight years. I've been doing racial reconciliation since, you know, since Ferguson, like this, is not new to me. I've been having these conversations. They are so hard, and y'all, I have done it wrong, and I've gotten in trouble. And and who knows, an article might come out next week about some of those things that I did wrong. But I stayed in it, and those people are still my friends, and I'm still trying to work through this with with people that I love. So so I'm not afraid of it. And and I think it is important that as leaders, that we we don't sit back, that we love that we inspire, that we show a way through this that is biblical, not religious and not political, but biblical. And that biblical way is going to cut through the crap. Can I say that on a Christian podcast? I feel like that's a fine word to say. You can on
2: Church Falls Weekly.
3: There's a lot of that right now. We got to cut through it. And as leaders, we need to be pure hearted ourselves and pure living. Like we need accountability. We need to be sure that we are are right before God as much as it, you know, we're still sinners, but as much as it it is possible with us that we're not having regular habitual sin that is entangling us. We have to be, um, and that means we need accountability, every single one of us. And we have to be single-minded of where we're calling people to go and it is the way of jesus it is to love your neighbor it is to make disciples it is to to live the word out in indeed and in um in kindness and love and i just think there is a way forward but it's it's going to um it's going to take repentance <laughs> in us of just what we've loved more than god and it's going to take doing it in a messy way that that relationally costs us something because we have a lot of mess to dig out of. I want to say, I am praying for pastors. They have been beat up. This has been impossible um, this year for them, in every single category. And I just want to encourage them for not quitting and just say, um, well done. Like you persevered through a very hard year and that we need you. We need leaders to, to show the way forward, to not lose hope and to, um, I know that it feels like there's days that probably you're getting your hand slapped on every issue. And, and I just want to say, thank you for taking that and, and not quitting. And my prayer is that on the other side of this, um, there is a lot of gratitude for, for what you have been through because it is, it's, I mean, no doubt there's probably needs to be PTSD centers set up for pastors everywhere. Cause it really has been hard. And so I, I am hopeful. And I really believe that those that are still going, which i pray, whoever's listening right now, you won't quit. Um, and that you will know that your work is important. And, and I think, you know, as those that are lay people in the church and that's, that's my category, would we be those that thank our pastors? Would we be those that pray for our pastors? Would we be those that are, are constantly expressing that gratitude? Cause it really is an impossible job in this season. Um, I hope that you're encouraged by this. I hope, you know, that you are doing a good thing and that there are a lot of people out there that are grateful for you staying and that the future of the church looks looks strong and yes we got to deal with some stuff but there also is a lot um that is that is good and that we have to build off of
2: Jenny Allen man, I have enjoyed this conversation I'm so grateful for you and your leadership and I'm just in, uh, inspired by your optimism and and uh it's a good word for us to be careful not to be cynical as leaders especially as we try to rebuild from what a what's been a really disruptive year. Thank you for joining me.
3: Yeah. Thanks for having me, David.
2: Really
0: glad to see David back and hear that conversation with Jenny Allen, and I'm sure you probably want more on Gen Z. So you can actually participate in the Generation Z Barna CoLab. It's a six-week learning cohort, and you can go to barna.com forward slash collab. that's C-O-L-A-B, where you can learn more, register. And of course, there's a whole lot on Gen Z over at barnaaccess.com. And if you are going to join the collab, we got a special discount for you. Just use the code CHURCHPULSE15, CHURCHPULSE15, as you check out, and that will give you a nice discount. Hey, we are so excited to come alongside you and equip you as church leaders. You're leading through a really, really tough crisis right now. Hang in there. Um, we are going to do our best to bring you relevant, helpful practical information week after week after week, and we'll see you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.